Good evening, you are listening to Three Moves Ahead, and I'm your host, Rob Zachney. Tonight, we welcome 3MA founder, Troy Goodfellow. It is very nice to be back. And we also welcome freelance writer and tabletop aficionado, John Bolding. Howdy, howdy. Uh, Troy, I know that you're the 3MA founder, but I think we're all founders this week. We are all ah. captains of industry. We're entrepreneurs. Uh, we've gone back to the year... Anna, uh, to the year... 1800, which I guess is literally the title, uh, Anno 1800, uh, the latest entry in the long-running running City Builder series, and we've all been uh, really getting stuck in with building Industrial Revolution era uh, period infrastructure, businesses, and engaging, at least in the campaign, uh, in some sort of fraught politics of the period, and albeit in a very storybook uh, fashion. Um, let's see, before we dive into, because John, I know that when you first started playing this, um, you were starting to get a little hot under the collar about some of the uh, some of the presentation choices that have been made here, about some of the ways they've uh, framed a few things. Uh, but before we get into, into all of that, let's just set the stage here, uh, you know, broadly speaking, what is Anno 1800 and what is, you know, if you're, if you're just joining us, what is an Anno game as opposed to a city builder like City Skylines? It's a good question because this is, uh, I guess to my chagrin, I'm, I'm admitting something here. I've never played an Anno game until this one. Oh. Not even once. Oh, wow. So, yeah. It, you're it just wasn't part new. of my experience. So should I take that question? Yeah. Uh, I, I'm actually surprised this is the first Anno game we've actually done a, sh a show on, uh, because this is one of the you know, longest continuing city builder series uh, for some time. They, it's usually historical, uh, though they've recently done some science fiction stuff. Uh, they are somewhere between an impressions historical city builder and the Port Royal training games, but leaning much more heavily towards the impressions titles. Uh, you build. Uh, your you settle islands. These are all island settlement games for the most part. And each island produces a certain number of resources, though to advance your city to the highest level, you will need resources that aren't on your islands. You'll be setting, settling multiple islands. Just like a lot of uh, recent city builders, um, you in order for uh, you to increase the abilities and the professionalism of your uh, citizens, they will need access to different kinds of goods. And in Anno 1800, you have workers who have very basic stuff. Then, so you have farmers with the basic subsistence stuff. And then there's workers who are your industrial class. And then you have artisans who are kind of your elite class. And they will each have different preferences and they will open up new opportunities. Though to keep them satisfied, you will need to either settle other islands or trade with other. Uh, cities out there, and that is a big part of the game. Uh, settling new islands is expensive, so to access certain goods, you'll be trading with your rivals uh, on the island. They might not have access to furs, but you do. So you'll sell them furs, but they'll sell you hemp. Um, and you both need these things uh, to keep going. There is a, unlike the Impression City Builders, is a stronger military component. You've, you will need an army. Uh, earlier Anno games had resources very, very scarce, like you could run out of stone, for example, and that would really, really suck if you didn't keep track of how much stone you were spending. You could lead yourself down a 
a dead end. They've kind of gotten rid of that, and resources are kind of infinite, which is probably a safer decision in this day and age. Um, there is a larger military component, as I said. You'll need to build ships. You'll need to have an army to defend yourself from attacks. There's a diplomatic matrix. Uh, the more recent uh, Anno games have included story-driven campaigns, where there are challenges that are presented to you and in-game quests, which give you different rewards for uh, performing very simple services across the map. Uh, there's a lot of ships. There's a lot of ship so building. And uh, there's a lot of you know, keeping track of population shifts uh, because you have different classes and each class has certain types of work. And we'll talk about this in a bit. You will find uh, kind of a boom-bust cycle when you level up a bunch of your workers to one class. You'll find, oh, I've run out of the underclass. Uh, you always need an underclass. You'll always need, you know, the jerks at the bottom pumping the gas and farming the wheat. Or I guess the, the, the pigs. Wheat, wheat, is a, wheat is a middle class job. Pigs well, are a low class job. Well, no. Uh, Growing the wheat, any oh, schmuck yes. can grow wheat. But turning it into bread, oh right. my goodness. Right. Actually, not any schmuck can grow wheat. Only yeah. lower class schmucks can grow wheat. Right. But you, but you can't use the wheat. Because, because eating bread is a middle class job. Uh, so the Anno games are, it is a long and beloved series. And uh, I think their detour into uh, sci-fi was kind of misplaced. Some of the games are kind of interesting. But this is a series that has always been in stronger footing uh, with boats and sail and resources and jobs people recognize. Uh, I think that makes the series more approachable than their science fiction games. And I was, I was, though I have a lot of issues with 1800, I was glad to see them come back to this space. Troy, it was interesting to hear you talk about how they used to set you up so that like you could run out of resources. And I feel like, and this is maybe a, a broader like macro-level genre question, but I feel like this used to be more of a hallmark of what you'd find in City Builders. Uh, certainly it comes to mind when I think of the impression City Builders, where you were really laid out these constrained scenarios. And you really had to make the correct decisions, not just about layout, but where you were actually going to allocate your resources. And a lot of these games, and I think this is why I tended to drift away from them, away from them, and why it took me a long time to even give the Anno series a shot. Uh, a lot of these games felt like, compared to the more open-ended uh, nature of, say, Sim City and its ilk. These games always felt a little bit more of a screw you city builder. Um, well, I mean, one complaint about the impression city builders, and it was certainly true of Anno, was that you mentioned that I mean, because of layout and resources and the order in which you do things, many of them felt to observers more like math problems or geometry problems than actual city builders because you had to think about how far is this worker going to be working or an anno how many carts do i have going to this warehouse where should i put these warehouses how far should i spread them apart uh so you don't get backlogs of resources so that all of your clay isn't going to one brick house so that all of your stone isn't being used for roads when you want to be using it for buildings all of these uh math priorities 
were kind of important. And when and in the time when there was limited resources, when your island only had so much iron before it was exhausted, or so much stone before it was exhausted. Whole great big mountain, but you could only mine a little bit of stone. Thanks, guys. Uh, that really helped. Uh, that was a real problem. Uh, it did add to the challenge of the Anno games. Uh, but the scenarios were often, the maps were often smaller, uh, which probably made it a little more palatable. Um, Saddling Islands wasn't necessarily as difficult as it is uh, in Anno 1800. Uh, it was a little bit cheaper, though in Anno 1800 it's really quite an investment uh, to settle a new island. Uh, and if you're a war a lot, the, especially the earliest Anno games had a very heavy uh, and aggressive AI, you would, you would no one would trade stone with you. They, they'd shoot your ships on sight um, because they didn't like you because your cities were too beautiful or something. Uh, so yeah, there, there was certainly an issue there in the early years, and there's still some of that, uh, especially with the moving goods around, but they did change a few things uh, that make it, it makes it a lot easier. For example, uh, radiuses of buildings. Some buildings still have a radius of operation. Uh, pubs, markets, churches, they will satisfy people within a certain radius. It'll have an effect. However, workplaces will draw from anywhere on the island. So if you have an iron mine like way, way out in the boonies, your workers will somehow get to it so long as you can, they can trace a road to a warehouse and a market. You don't have to have houses nearby. I don't know if there's some Victorian bus they're taking, but everyone will get to a workplace. So you don't need to worry about putting building, putting houses in places which might be a better place for resources, for example. Uh, where, oh, that's a great place for my wheat because yes, I'm so limited in space, but I have to put houses there to get to the iron foundry. You don't need to do that anymore. They will get to the iron foundry. They will walk from one long part of the island to the other. Uh, so by reducing that so that workplaces don't have a radius of activation, that helps a lot in city planning and in just the basic math of trying to figure out what you need and where you need it. That threw me for a loop, uh, yep. if I'm being honest, because <laughs> I was surprised, because it's an odd thing, there's an element of, if a game teaches you that one thing works a certain way, I think there's often, it's easy to sort of assume then that implied similar things will operate that way, right? Like, the game makes yeah. a point of telling you, look, you need warehouses near these production facilities, you need... Uh, you know, you you need to connect the raw materials uh, production site to the processing site for the intermediate good. Uh, these things, like range, matters. Uh, there's you know sort of an area of effect there, and it doesn't really foreground the fact that uh, you're not going to have to worry about that with workers. And I thought that was kind of an, it was, it was an odd thing. It did take a lot of pressure off. Um, but it was also kind of an odd thing because it, 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 it helps, but I'm, I'm, I'm really ambivalent as to whether this is, this is good simplification, uh, in part because what it did lead me to start doing was, creating layouts that I suppose are a little bit more like your traditional city builder, uh, which is that you just start, ha you start building a populated like urban core 
and then everything else you're trying to fan out away from uh, away from that core. Now there's limits to how you can do that. Uh, you know, radius effects matter a great deal. What you're going to be building is actually several urban cores, really. Uh, but but nevertheless, it was kind of surprising that you can have a dirt track road leading deep into the hills uh, to a quarry. And you just slap it down there. And immediately people are like, hell yeah, time to walk 20 miles to the limestone quarry uh, and, and clock in for my shift. And yet, if a market is a block over, people are like, damn, I can't get food. I just, I'm starving here. Like, I, like entire neighborhoods will just like go to hell uh, because literally you just put the Whole Foods on the wrong corner. That's true. And I, I also find it strange. Yeah. It's, it's odd. Like they want you to figure out an optimal layout, like because the, the radius of some things like a town hall is a circle around the building, right? It's just a space that exists. Whereas the radius of other things like a market is a distance that travels along roads that you've placed. So it's two separate geometric layout challenges that you mess with in this game, which I find very interesting and somewhat strange. Um, and also the the way that it encourages you to silo off your industries, not only that, the way it encourages you to silo off different parts of your industries is sort of weird to me because things have to come out of a factory and be stored in a warehouse, right? That's how they work. But... Once they hit the warehouse, they become quantum resources available at any other warehouse on the island. Warehouses is just this, like, Doctor Who-esque, <laughs> larger-than-existent space inside that connects all warehouses built in the same area. And so, like, you get weird... You just need to make sure you have enough... Not too many kinds of something around any given warehouse... So that there's not too many carriages trying to carry in goods. But after that point, it doesn't really matter. Um, and it's like, so when I started playing this, I felt like it had been sold to me as a city builder for years. And that's why I never played Anno, because I was like, that isn't an interesting looking city builder. Why does it have combat? I don't care. Um, but it's actually like a a strange hybrid between a supply chain management game and a city builder, right? It's not a supply chain game in that you have to make sure that you lay everything out properly and everything has a good flow and moves physically from one space to another. It's all rate-based. It's making sure that you are producing enough boards to make new ships, not that you are getting boards efficiently to the shipyard, if that makes sense. Um, and like that that's in the late stages of Anno 1800. That's the whole game. That's it. Are you making enough cigars and getting them to a different island fast enough? That's that's the game. And I find that fascinating. Yeah, I think the other part of this is a friend of mine calls the Anno games, and this one in particular, like his, his garden games, in that, they, you know, you fire them up and then you go get really involved in the small perfectionist details of tending your urban garden. And... For me, as someone who's like basically been playing City Skylines is probably the main 
uh, city builder I've played in the last like five years or so. It is, it, it's it's a strange kind of game, uh, and if you and if you're an Anno fan, this is this has got to this has all got to sound very uh, very strange or even infuriating. But to to someone coming from this coming at this from the outside, uh, I've only played a little bit of the not the Moon one, um, the climate change disaster one. Um, Anno twenty seventy. Yeah. Uh, I think when I, when I play this game, the thing that continually trips me up is the degree to which the game is constructed also to create these really persistent, thorny layout issues. Um, this is a game of tiny grids. Uh, so it's, you know, you, you, every building is occupying a certain shape of tiny square grids but those buildings are also wildly variable in size that creating like a nice predictable sensible urban layout oh god is constantly frustrated and and at first that's not going to matter and this is this is the part that is always uh, that, that I always stumble at with these games at first and this is actually kind of clever when you're kind of in your raw materials phase and just having like uh, farm labor uh, is, you know, farmers are what they call like the, the, the lowest tier, uh, you know, of, of workers. When you're in that stage, you are very much just like clear cutting forest and just like slapping stuff down wherever you need it. Oh, we need housing for more workers. Just throw them up here. And you know, there's so much empty space that you start building out the, these hubs. And then this is this is the part where I think Anno becomes really, really tough. Is that then you have to start revisiting those early choices. First, as you fill in the map and start bridging the gaps between that kind of like lily pad structure of your city at the start. Once you start connecting those lily pads... You start realizing that, like, oh, like, here's a bunch of blocks that just don't work. Um, I've created a lot of weird shapes. So, you know, I've got these two buildings next to each other. And there is no block layout that is going to make sense here. So I'm just going to stick a single track road in there. It's going to be cul-de-sac, whatever. It's fine. And that kind of works at first, too. You may have an ugly city, but it at least works. And then the game begins layering in these extra things, which is you're going to start leveling up the dwellings of the people who live there. So your farmers become workers and move up a class. But each time you do that process, the needs of the people in those houses changes. You're probably going to have to create new industrial supply chains to service those needs. But... Also, they begin getting fussier about what is near them. Farmers don't care if they live near farms. They don't care if they live near slaughterhouses. Not really. Um, but middle class people do. And this is the thing that starts to really stress me out in this game. Is that I just don't... I do not have a head for this. Like, I am so bad 
at laying out these cities and sort of anticipating what something is going to look like. And so, so much of this game is just me staring at like that, that now dense urban core and realizing like, oh my God, these people are just like living in, (laughs) in big shit and, and smoke from the (laughs) mills. And I have, and I'm like, I don't know how to, I don't know how to fix this without just like clear, like with now, without now, like, just demolishing huge swaths of this city. And I think if you're kind of, you know, if you're, if you're kind of wired to be, uh, to try to really find that optimal layout, that really frictionless uh, version of the city in a weird way, this game also seems to want you to do that encourages you to think that way. Uh, But at the same time, it be, you know, because of the things like the weird footprints with buildings, because of the mixture of like, um, road connectivity versus building effect radius. Uh, it is uniquely suited to confounding what you're trying to do and leaving you with setups that are not just ugly and serviceable at best, but which will also make the next progression up the city planning scaffold um, increasingly fraught. Well, if you do it right or wrong... You end up, in many ways, you know, mirroring, you know, a perfect capitalist economy. You know, you stick your rendering plants and your pigsties and your mills far, far out of town. Then, of course, you level up your downtown core, but you're going to need more farmers. But you can put them in the crappy parts of town because they don't care. So your downtown core is going to be full of workers. They're replacing farmers. You still need farmers to do all the farm shit. But they don't care where they work, so they can live in the pollution. (laughs) They just put the stuff out yeah. far enough, and you'll they have also this. Don't care if have, they work. Yeah, you have this. Perp, you have this, this underclass, and you know they'll 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 somehow get from you know the iron mill to the fish docks, and they'll fe- they'll engorge themselves on sardines while the middle class is eating bread and sausage, um, and you know it's kind of a cruel little mirror of society, right? Yeah, the worst parts of you could always have, there's always space for a crappy little farmhouse in the middle of nowhere on that little plot of land that because of your bad building planning, like when you build a wheat farm, you have to fill in all the little squares of wheat uh, where you want the farm to be. So it can look like, as long as you fill in, you know, 170 or whatever squares, they can take any shape as long as they're touching the wheat farm building. So that can be some, you know, geographic monstrosity. And you can just fill in the other space with, you know, farmhouses or gardens or whatever uh, to make people reasonably pleasant. And yeah, I mean, that's like any good historical city builder with, you know, geography. It defies really good, solid grid planning. Because you're going to run into mountains. You're going to run into rivers. You're going to run into coastline. And that's going to happen relatively quickly. Um you're always going to need, and then it gets to the point where, okay, what I really need is a satellite colony, and that's when you settle on another island, and that's where you get your wood, and that's where you get your that's where you get your raw goods, and you ship them back to the main hub. Now, eventually, that satellite's going to need some middle class as well because they're the ones who work the fur houses or whatever, um, or whatever else you're getting from that island, but you will have satellite islands feeding into your larger me- metropole which i think is 
a really nice reflection of you know economics. Um, you're connecting different cities. These people have different different requirements uh, and different abilities. And I mean, there's an urge to build like an autarkic system, which can just feed itself. Um, though that's not very economically viable. So you'll end up having to sell some stuff uh, to other places. But there is this always this push to have you know, always have somebody you know, at the bottom feeding the machine, and that's not going to happen in a perfect grid, which you can't get. So you end up taking the grid offline yep. and going to another island, um, which is I think it's always been part of the Anno series. I think the industrial setting here kind of ramps up. Uh, the connection a little bit harder than in the other ones with just a bunch of islands in the 15th century trading stuff back and forth. Here you have the dark satanic mills in one island being fed uh, potatoes from another island uh, to make the stops. And it's all very, very appropriate, I think. Yeah, I think I agree with you. And I like... The I think the most impressive thing about this game is the numerical and systems elegance with which the economic system is implemented. It all fits together really well. There are small things to there are little puzzles that are fun to figure out, like okay, exactly how many uh, farms do I need to make potatoes per Schnapps distillery, right? And they sort of only ramp up from there, and so you get this really really satisfying experience of being like. Oh, okay, so I need to make watches, so I need to make sure that there's, you know, this much gold and this many watch parts or what have you, right, coming in at various rates, depending on the maximum throughput of a watch factory. And that is, it's it all fits together so well, and then you go and add a system where you you throw a wrench into that by having to bring in resources from other islands, which means that now there's variable transit times in the game where you need to make sure you've got enough ships servicing these lines so that the right amount of resources and finished goods are getting from point A to point B. And that is such a, it's a really satisfying gameplay group. It's, it's, it's satisfying and complex in its uh, implementation but not necessarily in its execution. I didn't feel completely overwhelmed by figuring out how a building chain ever worked, if that makes sense. Yeah, I mean, it. the game has a lot of... Like, it's, a refi- it's a fairly refined interface at this point. Uh, I think the city layout stuff is, is better refined. I think I always found managing ships a little clunkier. Uh, it that to me always felt like a, a weird side table, uh, to use a board game analogy, right? And that like most of the game, I was looking at just physical space and uh, considering these, uh, you know, the, these urban layouts, and then there was this other part of the game that was, I don't know, like a less I found my thoughts returning a lot to the Patrician series when I was playing this uh, and kind of how effortless Patrician made made the notion of like building a maritime trade network. And here I always felt like it was just a little bit clumsier. 
Well, I mean, Patrician and Port Royal and the Guild and all those games, the maritime trade work is the point of those yeah. games. I mean, those aren't city builders. Those are games about building a trade system. Uh, so you'll have to have you know, trading stations and upgraded ships and avoiding pirates. I mean, you are managing a fleet. That is your job. You're not building Copenhagen, uh, which is, I mean, the, the ship stuff in theater games is always essential and always important, but never good, uh, which I find is kind of sad, <laughs> but also just the way it works. The ships always move too slow. The interface is always unclear. Like, um, for example, um, in in Nano Eight Hundred, certain buildings and ships can have can be they have slots that you can fill with you know items to empower them. And for the uh, trade union hall, you click on a box and you click on the item and it fills the box. Great. For the uh, ships, you need to drag it from your port to the ship instead of clicking on the box and choosing from a list of items. Which makes no sense to me at all. Why one is one way and one is the other? It's completely nonsensical. Um, but you're, there, but you will have to build. I'm not sure how many ships you'll actually need to actually control the Anno eighteen hundred. I never got too far where I felt like I needed a proper fleet. It used to, but used to be able to get by with you know just five or six ships, uh, some trade ships, and some stuff to harass pirates and uh, carry. Uh, goods for your next port. Um, so, but the, the the naval games have always the naval games have always been. I mean, you're not really building a trade network here. Yeah, you, you can set up continuous trade, um, but you're usually only doing that for like a short purpose until you can get your cash flow going again, and then you'll change that into another good. Um, it's not a long term trading relationship where, well, I I don't have any. I don't have enough clay to build bricks. I've got to buy clay somewhere else. So I'm going to buy clay from Empress Ching uh, or whatever. Uh, so you send your ship out to buy clay from her while you're trying to... Meanwhile, you're just waiting to get clay from another island. You're just saving up for that. Now, a lot of the time, very few of the low-level trade stuff you're going to need at the very beginning of the game is our relationships going to continue for very long. Um in the end game, where yeah, you're going to be trade. Everything's very expensive, and you're going to need to be selling cigars, selling guns, uh, selling ships, selling actual selling watches, actually selling actual proper industrial goods. Um, that's when you'll want to have trade networks. But there, you're often going to be selling things more than buying things. I find uh, not because it's just as perfectly autarkic, but because it's autarkic enough. Because uh, you've settled enough islands that you can generally keep the wheels of industry moving without relying on that cranky Downton's Abbey lady who never likes you. Beatrice or whatever. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so I think the other the other part of this, and, and Troy, hearing you talk about the history of the series and how this game ends up replicating um, kind of the... The combination of um, like colonial resource extraction and bringing uh, raw goods or intermediate goods to the colonial metropole uh, to be finished and uh, to service a a like you know more privileged and uh, high, higher class citizenry, and then also the way it is modeling sort of the. Um, 
industrial revolution stratification of society. Uh, some of these features have cropped up again and again in the Anno series. This has always been a series about uh, where class is also being used as a stand-in for leveling up in some ways uh, for, for advancing your advancing your city. But here it does feel a little bit more um, political, I suppose, in some ways. And I can't figure out if that is because the game has changed because I don't have the background of the series or if it is simply me reacting to the fact that with Anno 1800, the representation in this game is literally now of a period where we saw where where we know historically these dynamics happened in some form and drove massive changes uh both in the society of like you know european nations but also massive transformations and devastation uh for colonized peoples and what i'm trying to figure out is did the game fundamentally change here and it is sort of just surfacing that uh, curricula, uh, to, to, to borrow you one, one of your, your words, uh, it is surfacing that a little more clearly, or is it simply because now that all of this is in the aesthetic of the 1800s, it just becomes plain as day? Yeah, I mean, this isn't, this isn't silent curriculum. This is, this is 1800. This is in your face. Uh, they want you to be thinking about this and looking at this. They have a trade union hall. That's not something you find in, eight, in Anno 1492. Um, they, the campaign is about an evil robber baron industrialist and you know rescuing workers and there are pro, pro, workers' protests. And those aren't things you had in Anno games. You'd have unhappy workers, but you know they'd just be unhappy and they'd leave. They wouldn't you know rally in the streets against you uh, and sabotage stuff. You wouldn't have you know union agitators uh this is a game that is taking the classes which has always been in the android games and has been in most city builders i mean it's um if i still wrote essays i could write a very long one about uh class systems in city builders because they go through all kinds of different variations you know from you look at you know sim city and the early impressions games residents would just automatically upgrade to a higher class once they had more access to more sophisticated things. So you could have, uh, in like the Caesar games, everyone's a patrician, everyone's in a villa, everyone's happy. Yeah, I work in a farm, but look where I look at my house. That's just how things were. Because uh, no one really had a workplace. It was just, it was just a property, but just something you taxed. And if it's happier property, you get happier taxes and better buildings. Uh, but then you have the shift to, okay, jobs are done by specific people. And that was something I think the Anno series might have been the first to do, where you had different cloud different buildings buildings didn't automatically upgrade and they don't in anno 1800 you decide whether you're upgrading them or not you decide if the farmer becomes a worker if the worker becomes an artisan they don't get there because by the by their by their bootstraps they don't work their way into it they, they meet certain qualifications and you decide okay i need workers you're a worker now and you're making a decision to provide for them and their newest high class status, and they can get cranky, and you can't demote them. <laughs> or you can. Can you demote them? I forget. You can demote buildings, yeah. yeah you can, you, demote, can. Yeah, yeah, you, you, can you can demote them. But you don't think you could in the Anno games, other earlier Anno games. And so, but, but this is certainly the most class conscious and class aware, and I think it's because you really can't have a game about industrialization in this era and not have a reference. If you're going to have you know people working in dark mills, 
and the Victorian age, you're going to have to have, I think, some reflection of 19th century politics in a cartoonish manner at the very least. John, how'd that Because I had the feeling that some of the presentation of these themes was sitting poorly with you. And, play, and playing it, it's a... It's kind of a weird game in how in how it handles these politics. Where you had like when I played twenty seventy, twenty seventy was going for this uh, really like almost minority report aesthetic. It was trying to be very plausible. Do you remember you would interact with that game? Uh, the main menu was this like fake interface for like your corporate terminal, uh, where you it, it was extremely um, Assassin's Creed. Where you were, you were, you were basically logging into your day job at Abstergo, except now you were managing, uh, you know, the city builder dealing with the effects of runaway climate change, um, and that was a little more serious. It was playing it a little more straight. Here, I don't know what it's doing. What did, what, what did you make of the presentation choices, both in the game, but then also in the in the narrative campaign? I think that it sidesteps some of the biggest issues by setting itself in a fictional world to a certain degree. Um, and also, its its new world is the Caribbean. Um, and it's the Caribbean in, in a theoretical fictional 1800. So it's post... By this point in our history, all of the natives have been exterminated. And most of many of the slaves have been freed um and so it just sort of doesn't deal with those issues it sort of ignores them there's a the people that you manage that live in your colonial uh your colonial settlements and cities are this generalized post encomienda system latin american populace they are poor to rich and they need things uh, and they live in a sunny environment where lots of cheery music plays. Um, Tropico. A little bit, except in a, like a good game. Is <laughs> that. Um, and so that's, that's it, right? That's its depth of engaging with the concept of colonialism. And I was kind of disappointed that it didn't want to do more with that, right? There's not an element of if the colonies are unhappy enough, they will leave you, which is totally a thing that this game should care about if it wants to be about the 1800s, right? Um, there's no sending the gunships in to pacify the, the natives or anything like that. Um, and it that just, that total erasure sort of rubbed me the wrong way, especially when in the campaign, one of the primary characters in the New World is a revolutionary like she's your main point of contact, um, and that's it was very odd. I, I just didn't quite like that very much. It it surprised me uh, coming from a series that was like, yeah, this one's about industrialization, um, and the the class problem with this for me was at the same time um, it didn't care about the massive labor crunch that happened in the eighteen hundreds. Um, where suddenly we needed a hell of a lot more people because in in dense areas because we wanted them to work in these factories um people are happy to be unemployed in this game and you in fact make money off of them right if you can feed your entire populace of 
you know, 3,000 unemployed farm workers, you make money, uh, which is very strange. Like, they pay their taxes somehow. They don't have jobs, but they pay their taxes. Though yeah. I did... Um, let me interject really quick. Yeah. I did love its its depiction of the theoretical uh, investor capitalist class who serve no purpose other than to make you wealthy and increase your global influence. Well, that's the Anno standard. That the, uh, the, the that that is all. I think always been the end game of this series. That the people at the very the, the very top of the uh, social ladder are basically just there as uh, both combination of. Like parasites and uh, just value generators. Yeah, they, you just pour resources into them, and they you make some money, but not like enough to really justify their existence. But then you make a bunch of uh, like in, influence, which is sort of intangible currency that you can invest in things like the existence of government, like town halls and more ships and uh, trade routes and things like that. Yeah, I. Uh... It, it's it's an odd game uh, with regards to the way it handles some of the politics of this period. I think the it's I still but say. But I mean, to, to its credit, it at least acknowledges there are politics in the period. Yes, um, and it does. It, it absolutely does. And your people will do really cool stuff in the. Uh, it ha- can happen in the New World too, but it, it has real cool uh game effects in the the old world map where they will strike and they will fly banners from all the uh buildings that say general strike uh with their demands on them and they will march through the streets and i really love that stuff i think i thought it was very well implemented and interesting if you do not keep your people happy they will stop working and not only will they stop working they will destroy your economy while they do it which is a more gamist perspective on the concept of a strike, but it, it is still cool. Yeah, I one thing that struck me as it, it, at first a little bit in Congress was the um, the campaign in particular has this kind of goofy charm, but it is very goofy because it is very much like uh, what what is the way to put this. Uh, it's like, what if you mixed the jungle with a little princess? Is maybe how I how I put that how how I put that uh, campaign because all the characters are very heightened. Uh, it like all like all the it, it feels a bit like children's cartoon version of the eighteen hundreds, and also has this kind of. It inhabits this weird political space where you have the trappings of like a modern uh, like European state, but at the same time you're also in a fairy tale kingdom. Except in this fairy tale kingdom, uh, instead of just like kings and queens and dukes and such, uh, what you have are these robber barons. And literally, the setup of the game is that. Like you were apparently like you you are the heir to uh you know gallant Henry Ford, uh but sadly goofus Henry Ford has has uh like <laughs> dethroned him and somehow had him executed for uh for for treason and everyone and everyone is very heartbroken about this but there's there's just weird details like the fact that um 
so everyone is just so heartbroken that your your dad, the good tycoon, was charged with treason and thrown in a royal dungeon that everyone is like we want to help you build your industry back up and help you reclaim uh what is yours it it really is like uh you know imagine if like a wonderful life was about like andrew carnegie or something like that uh pantomime it is a traditional victorian pantomime yeah. With, you know, villains you want to hiss and overarching archetypes. And I'm surprised it's not interrupted by a song. Yeah. Man, I wish it was interrupted by a song. But I can't always, like, sometimes I'm also wondering, like, it, it like is it just straight up laughing at, like, making cracks about its own commentary? For instance, the fact that the representation of the government, the, the queen and her advisor, are just these blatantly insincere... Uh, you know, dirtbags really who are just—they literally don't care what is happening as long as the good keep, goods keep coming. But if they tell you things like, "Damn, you know, if, um, we really wish we could have taken, you know, taken care of uh, that situation with your father. Uh, a shame he died in the royal dungeons uh, without a trial, <laughs> um, which has nothing to do with us. Don't worry about it." Uh, but anyway, you know, we're here for you. If there's any way we can help you, uh, just let us know. In the meantime, though, could you build us a fleet of warships? And that, and it's like, it is just so funny to me uh, because, like, it's it's weird to see that aesthetic of, uh, you know, kind of a, a, a pretty, a very, go- it's a gorgeous game. Everything's very pretty. But it is going for a kind of... Um, Gilbert and Sullivan's Anno. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's 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 such a strange thing, uh, and 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 you couple that with the fact that it does have these over these sort of over politics about what is happening in the game, uh, about you know resource extraction and uh, you know classes sort of being born aloft by underclasses. Uh, and yet then the story is very much, um, you know, as, as Troy said, a Victorian pantomime complete with, um, you know, noble native, uh, BFF and right hand man. Yeah, that is completely true. Yeah. I don't, I don't know. Like it's the, the weird thing is like, it's. When I say it's goofy, it really is, and to me at least, there was a there was a charm to that goofiness. Troy, did, did this did this land for you? The campaign, no. It was the, the I couldn't get past the voice acting. Uh, it's just just a bit too arch for me, which I found. I mean, I I like a good panto and all that, but I just I could not get into Snively Whiplash, the evil brother. Uh, you know, scheming and rubbing his hands in the background while I build a virtuous empire of soot and steel. Uh, it was... It, it's, I, 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 it, the campaign offers some interesting, like expeditions, for example, where you're... you're so you outfit a ship and it, you just send it off. And occasionally you'll get uh, missions, adventure, decision points. Your ship has encountered this problem. What do you do? Um, 
and you're never sure if your expedition is going to work. And that's kind, of, that's kind of how you find the new world. You've got to send an expedition out first. I guess they haven't finished mapping the world by the by computer Victoria times. Um, and so there's there are a few interesting little bits in it, but I mean the voice acting. I mean, I, I did look up and like uh, the Chinese character Empress Ching or whatever. I thought, I thought, okay, either this is a. I, I want to say this is a really bad fake Chinese accent, but I should first check and make sure the voice actor isn't actually Chinese and I'll end up embarrassing myself. The voice actor is not Chinese. It is a very bad Chinese accent, uh, and uh, most of the accents are just these arch readings in you know the most oh whatever shall we do sir noble love face uh type of dialogue and it's i i guess i mean maybe maybe i should approach it with it's it's you know just taking a shot at the sort of stuff that it is in fact kind of tongue-in-cheek um you're pointing about you know the royal guards you know oh we have we have these royal orders and sorry we couldn't help you that that is a very good point maybe they do know exactly what they're doing here um Maybe I'll come back to it with that sort of stuff. But I mean, I've never stuck with campaigns like this for very long. Yeah. Generally, they're not all that interesting for me. Uh, and this one didn't change much. I mean, it gets, it's the first couple of missions are great for introducing you to the systems, understanding how everything works. Um, and, you know, some of the personalities who you encounter uh, in the main skirmish game. But I've always preferred, you know, and I mean, it's not like there aren't adventure elements in the main game like they will give you quests you will have characters yeah. in your city give you quests to perform or other islands will give you quests to perform and sometimes they're right. they're your stupid find the hidden object things there's a guy walking around town with a protest sign click on his tiny icon and get a prize it's like you've got to be kidding me uh so it's know, weird i think that it's a very go ahead rob well no, i Try on on one level. I'm really with you there. I'm like those things annoyed the shit out of me. Like go find the guy with the thing. Go find uh, these things that are loose on the island. But on the other hand, there is this weird. I think there's something kind of brilliant about leveraging the fact that in creating this really like bustling, detailed city with all these moving parts and every building sort of. Uh, a hive of, of different activity and then tons of people moving around the island at all times. You have basically created a period piece, Where's Waldo? And just making you like go, like creating a quest where it's like, hey, go pour over these models we put a ton of time into and go find <laughs> yes. go find the thing. I actually like, it's not my cup of tea, but on the on the other hand, I'm like, damn, that's kind of brilliant. Yeah, I, uh, see it, I see that. I think that's actually a really interesting take on it, Rob, um, because this is the most Ubisoft thing about this game published by Ubisoft, right? Like, to me, it's it's where mm. you can absolutely tell that a producer at Ubisoft Corporate was involved in this and was like, this is good, we need, we need a, a box-ticking task. We need a thing for players who don't want to sit still who always want there to be literally always want there to be something that they could be doing um and i think that that is very much what it is uh and if you're an optimizer it'll probably somewhat drive you mad that you like can't do quests fast enough constantly um they are 
in many ways optional, but at the same time, you can get huge benefits from them. So I'm not sure if they are optional, if you want to win on the harder difficulties. I, I can't say I've played on the hardest difficulties, so I don't know for sure. Um, but they're they're pretty wild. Let's talk about real quick, and it, like especially to the point about harder difficulties, because um, I didn't play on harder difficulties. But one of the things that city builders um, tend to wrestle with a little bit, and they, some of them come down different places, and we touched on this in the beginning, is the notion of uh, either painting yourself into a corner or entering kind of a terminal uh, like failure spiral in in a game. And I'm curious, uh, how punishing did y'all find Anno for when you get these, you know, for when you miscalculated, uh, how far did you feel like you backslid before the game sort of let you land on a ledge and, you know, take it from the top? Oh, I, I mean, I've, I've fallen into, there are moments where I've just built not well or wisely. Um, and nobody's buying my stuff. So you get up in this debt spiral. Nobody, you know, People are paying their taxes, but it's not enough to pay for all the buildings. Uh, but you have to have the buildings, you can't satisfy the people. If you don't satisfy the people, they won't work, and no one's buying your stuff. For one reason, either they can't find you, or they don't like you, or you're surrounded by jerks, which can happen uh, because of diplomatic relations. And if you don't have people buying your goods... Like even the small stuff, like I just want to sell some steel or I want to sell some timber or God, I want to sell some fish. If nobody's buying in that first half hour, um, you can go, th- you can go through a crashing spiral economy pretty quickly. Um, just through, you know, bad luck and bad planning. Um, because there is, there's always this rush in all city builders to, you know, want to get to the good stuff quickly. No one wants to sit around for 20 minutes, uh, waiting for the wool to come in. You want to get in there and have the really nice, proper economy, uh, not just be some backwater Scotland, like poor with Fraser. You want to have a real proper uh, English economy going. And that rush in a game like Anno, all of the Annos, is, can be absolutely debilitating. Um, even the lowest difficulty level, where they give you quite a bit more money, and you know, I think your people are a little bit less likely to cut your head off. Um, but it's the really it is a game about patience. So you know, John's point about maybe these quests are to keep you from getting bored and have you always do something. That's actually probably very very on point because there's a lot of waiting for the economy to stabilize. You'll you'll upgrade a building. It'll go from the farmer ha- farmhouses hold ten people, worker houses hold twenty. You will want to, you know, I need more workers, so I better start upgrading more buildings. When the smart thing to do is to just wait for those buildings to fill. And that will provide your uh, support for the industries you're building instead of rushing towards more buildings. Even though they might pay more taxes, they also require more goods and require more upkeep. And it's a whole mess down the road. Um, so, yeah, an impatient person, and I can be very impatient uh, with city builders, can easily uh, cripple themselves. John, I'm curious if you, uh, you know, did did you end up feeling like this was a game that would just cut your cut your legs out from under you uh, when when you got it wrong, or did you feel like you you were pretty well uh, between the guardrails? 
So I didn't feel that way for a long time. I thought it was pretty straightforward, if a little slow. And I think it was because I was being really, really careful. And I didn't understand the extent to which you could trade. I didn't understand that you could just sell stuff and a sort of neutral NPC ship will show up and buy it, even if the other players on the map won't buy it. Um, And I didn't really understand that you could just buy stuff that you needed. Like, I thought you had to produce everything yourself, pretty much. Um, And sometimes you'd be able to sell things to NPCs. So for a long time, I went pretty slowly. The time that the couple times this game really got me, though, were times when I overreached myself and was like, I want to build this huge expensive thing and I would spend a ton of money and a ton of resources and then suddenly not have what I needed. I, you know, I would have, I would suddenly try to expand to like a really big, uh, small, like I would, I find a small Island and fill it up really quickly. And I would have the balances get out of whack. Cause I had built like Troy was saying too many houses versus the amount of workers the Island actually needed. And then there was no way to get enough resources there. There literally wasn't space to build enough tortillerias to feed the people right um but the the thing that totally fucked me up in this game that just absolutely right hooked me to the jaw was the combat and the war because i had a at one point i had an overwhelming military advantage and i was like i can just fight this person like that's how i can just take their stuff right that's wrong you can't do that combat is an absolute last resort in this game even though it's an option you're kind of not supposed to do it as far as I can tell. Um, there's a, like an overwhelming defensive advantage. Uh, defenses themselves just do a ton of damage and are very hard to destroy. And so surprise, you can save scum or your game is over. If you don't understand that combat is hard. And it's very expensive. Militaries are very expensive uh, to build and maintain. And yes. yeah, I mean, you'll, you end up picking on the weak. Like, you won't go after somebody's main island. You'll go after their little colonies. If they set up shop on a small island, you'll take that small island. You're not going to be going after their main capital. Right. You can prey on their shipping and things like that, but yeah. it's really hard to go and take a big island from someone. Um, if you want someone's big island, you need to just be overwhelmingly rich compared to them and sort of buy them out of it uh, by buying shares in it. Yeah, I think... Um... What would catch me out is that I would, um, I think the nature of a scaffolding game is that it gives you a false sense of how stable the game is overall when you're on the lower rungs of that scaffold. And as you begin leveling up into like the artisan engineering tiers, it's really easy to bite off more than you can chew there. Uh, for, you know, this was the mistake I would find myself making, uh, where I would kind of run a little bit ahead of what I could actually support. And I would end up hitting these, uh, you know, kind of disastrous bottlenecks where I would not fully internalize the degree to which, uh, you know, leveling a bunch of residences up was hollowing out one layer of the scaffold and then building something really heavy on top of it. And I would frequently find myself kind of, uh, you know, staring at what the calls were being made on my uh, depots and realize like, Oh shit. Like I actually need to restore my 
working in farming classes, uh, but there's no space left to do that. Uh, so now what's my solution here? And sometimes that solution is, you know, somewhere else, uh, literally just a, a, you know, different, different island. But sometimes that solution is, uh, you're just going to start watching these buildings, uh, basically crash. And at that point you're, you know, you're shutting down production facilities, restoring, you know, restoring uh some lower class working residences and uh trying to recover and and basically like sort of painstakingly and painfully uh hitting undo on on some progress uh but i didn't but i but i didn't feel like i would hit the point that i often hit with a more impressions type game where literally i would be staring at a city and realize that effectively there wasn't a way to reconsider these choices and, and reverse them short of restarting the scenario. Uh, right. And I, uh, and, and, and it's possible that it's just an ethos that, that is gone, right? Like, I'm not sure. And I'm not sure that is a, uh, I'm not sure I miss that. You know, I like, I have fond memories of like Caesar three, but I also have vivid memories of when I when and why I would hit the point of saying to hell with this game, uh, and being able to sort of fall in this game and fall pretty hard in places, uh, but not be left with a situation that there was sort of no coming back from, uh, struck me as like a pretty good balance. Yeah, I think I agree. The yeah. the latest later parts of the game, the sort of uh, finale where you can build the World's Fair uh, and it's a massive construction requiring an unspeakable amount of resources and huge labor pools. Uh, it's cool because it challenges your mastery of the game and how your labor scaffold is built by alternately requiring ever larger groups of the next tier up of workers to finish. Um, and that getting that done is a satisfying uh conclusion to a big resource management strategy and city building game as i have ever seen um because you can put you know dozens of hours into a single round of this game um and so having that be a be the big end where you really need to build up your network and it needs to be effective and quick and functional uh is really nice and at each step you can really screw yourself over if you don't do it right yeah to that point about the late game, um, I feel like one of the appeals of this, beyond just like the systems optimization aspect of the Anno series, but I think one of the things that's that's distinguished the series is that it rewards you because as you succeed, uh, setting aside the politics of what success is and how the game portrays you... Uh, establishing that kind of infrastructure and uh, production pipeline. But the results of a well-managed economy and city are pretty gorgeous in this game, uh, in this series. And I, I'm curious, like, for you, did you feel like the late game stuff, did you, like, did you feel that sort of the late game stuff was both 
interesting and then just aesthetically rewarding. Because uh, I think this is, this is a serious thing, right? Like a lot of city builders, if like you want to give people cool shit that they're building towards, and if it isn't cool enough, uh, it can feel really underwhelming when kind of your your end game is, uh, you know, in sort of the certainly the Sim City model and a little bit in like maybe even Skylines is what you create is a highly gentrified uh, tech corridor, tech corridor uh, kind of, kind of neighborhood. Um, did you find that, that this game succeeded in giving you something that you look at and be like, yeah, I built, I built a pretty damn good ant farm. Oh yeah. I mean, it, it's, it takes a long time. Um, this is a game that takes a while to get moving. Um, at the higher levels, must have a really, really advanced, really nice city with all the bells and whistles. And you're talking, it, it it's going to be hours of play, uh, unless you play at the very highest speed, and then it's really hard to know what's. I play at like the second uh, fastest speed most of the time because the fastest is just a bit too much, and the slowest is really slow. Uh, it takes a while to get there, but this is a gorgeous, gorgeous game. Um, and it's very satisfying to see things uh, move uh, and to see things uh, interact, to watch your carts move around, to maybe I don't like looking for Buddy with a protest sign, but I'm glad he's there. Um, the high level buildings, uh, yeah, the great special, the ships uh, look outstanding, um, the the everything at the higher level it looks really really good but even at the low level there's a it's it's satisfying to build a an engine that works i guess people like factorio i don't like factorio but a good city builder those are my factorios mm-hmm. when you see everything fitting together and no one's upset and you know how to get and you're kind of Wondering, okay, do I take this to the next level? Do I upgrade these workers to the artisans? Am I ready for that? Um, especially if it's been a hard fight to get your city up to a certain level, knowing the next decision you make can change everything, or at least it unlocks a whole lot of new possibilities. That's really cool. Um, and Anno 1800, I mean, it's, it's because of its slow pace and um, the campaign stuff i can't recommend it unreservedly but it does scratch that kind of itch for me where i want to sort of sit down with a game for a few hours and make a system and i might not even go back to it i might just say i'm done with that island i've played it tonight and i'll try something new the next night in a different place with different goods uh and see how things show up um it is a very satisfying experience i think yeah yeah, I think so. Um, it is a really enjoyable game to just play because it is so beautiful. It does have a AAA quality to it. It just looks good. It is nice in motion. The ships look cool. Their sails slack and fill with the wind, which is directional. Like Those little touches like that in this game make it look great. Um when your island is having a festival, there's a parade of people moving around um, that looks different depending on what the festival is, right? Like all these little tiny things where you can tell it was really a labor of love for the people who wanted to make this otherwise relatively dry strategy game feel alive. 
um that is rarely matched in our genre so you can't help but love it that's a good point too uh before the show we were sort of looking at this and marveling that you know you know it's from blue bite and it's you know blue bite still out there making games i have no idea what sort of changes have there happened there over time but you come to a game like this and it is so rare to encounter a game like this that <laughs> looks this good but is also this thorny and to a degree there's a part of me that just I, I suppose similar to the reason I remain so attached to uh, Total War, even when it's not good, I remain attached to it because there is something really cool about just the, uh, you know, a, a strategy game that looks this gorgeous. I think it's especially remarkable when you have something that is so close to being kind of a spreadsheet game uh, that still looks this, like, lavish and uh and, and and beautiful and so i i do sort of just have an attachment to it uh on that level um i think i'd be i also be curious to see like if um the one thing i i, I did find myself wishing this game would sometimes look a little bit uglier too <laughs> like should pig farms <laughs> be that picturesque like and, and I mean, oh, they have nice little mud puddles and everything. Yeah, but I mean, this is this is this is the one that this is a thing I was sort of thinking about as we're like as I'm staring at the uh, you know aesthetics of this game and then it's it's sort of message about extractive industries, uh, their impact on the natural environment, uh, people people who work 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 there. Um, it, it's weird in that in some ways the game is pretty on the nose about what the transition to like industrial capitalist economies looked like. Uh, and yet on the other hand, it doesn't go that I think it falls into maybe the trap that some steampunk aesthetics fall into, which is that uh, it kind of falls in love with the terrible beauty of heavy industry. And yeah, doesn't, it can, it can make it look almost whimsical. Yeah, yeah, or 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 the instead of like something that's poisoning the water, right? Or or the fact that like, you know, again, like a kid from Northwest Indiana, steel mills look cool, like they 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 just do. Like you see a steel mill at night, uh, it is it is an incredible thing to look at, um, but the impact of a steel mill isn't just the isn't just you know that massive uh you know furnace and smelting facility. Uh, sort of turning the night into day, uh, you know, beneath a, a layer of a layer of smog. It's you know, it's it's also, um, you know, toxic. You know, a lot of toxic runoff, a lot of slag uh, being deposited elsewhere. It's a lot of uh, just sort of open pit disposal of of byproducts, and. I think this isn't just like, I think every city builder struggles with this. This is what we talked a lot about with, um, you know, do not eat when we talked about, um, you know, city skylines to some extent as well is that city builders are, I think kind of by default, a bit aspirational. You like, they know, like, like I don't think any of them want to make you feel that bad or ambivalent about what you're creating but damn i am really curious to see 
what a city builder would look like if you had graphically graphic representations of like the long-term impact of some of this stuff right like you put down the wheat farm and at first it's it's gorgeous it's basically uh you know the the um uh the the haystacks painting in some ways right uh but over time it would be it i think it would be really cool if if you had a game start to slowly um change the visual tone of a place based on the choices you made if if that makes sense um because it it is a beautiful game and it you know it it does a great job of sort of making a city of this period uh look really interesting and and gorgeous uh but also i'm i'm you know i'm just i'm very much in that headspace now too of well we we know what the long-term impact of this shit was right like you know we 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 do know that uh you know the the harm that this mode of production and settlement has had uh on people and places and i'm still kind of waiting for the game that makes that as vivid as it makes progress you uh you want the evolution of the peppered moth to be like a major factor huh Where's, where's the game that cares about that, right? Um, I'm with you. I think that's actually a fascinating thing, right? For, for those unfamiliar... I, I don't know if you guys are. I don't, I'm not moth was the... a, Okay, so the Peppered Moth um, was a circumstance where uh, because of air pollution during the Industrial Revolution in England, the frequency of dark-colored moths increased um, because uh, they just lived better in the... Um, polluted environment right and then as pollution was reduced over time uh the white bodied moths came back oh that is yeah that's actually a really good analogy because i think that is kind of what i would like dig saying um just as as you make these sort of macro level choices uh there being sort of a macro level impact uh beyond just oh i built this in this area and that means there's pollution in that zone but something a little more global um, that remains the the thing that I'm sort of eager to see, uh, but that's obviously a very specialist request, and not something that uh, a lot of city builders have have, have tackled. Uh, I guess Anno tried to in 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 2070, uh, but even there, I think they, I you know, we talked about this before, but they massively pulled the punch, right? Where they were like, oh, you can go green, or you can be uh you know chevron exxon raytheon in in this game and it doesn't really matter right uh you know you 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 sort of succeed and make progress either way in in 2070 so uh, i'm 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 curious to see if we if if we get games that tackle those kind of themes a little more directly uh but anyway that will do it for this week and that will do it for anno 1800 we'll be back next week with more strategy discussion uh, this episode was produced by Alicia Ekampora. Uh Three Moves Ahead is hosted on the Idle Thumbs Network. You can learn more about the show and discuss this episode of the community at threemovesahead.net or follow us on Twitter at twitter.com slash 3MA. Finally, Three Moves Ahead is supported by listeners just like you on Patreon. You can learn more at patreon.com slash 3MA. That also has further information about our super secret Discord server where we occasionally talk about strategy games. 
Uh, anyway, we'll be back next week with another episode of Three Moves Ahead. Until then, for Troy, for John, this is Rob Zachney saying goodnight.